Our scripture reading this morning is going to be taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also made manifest in your consciences. Good morning and welcome again to our worship service. We are grateful for your presence. If you are visiting, as always, we invite you to come back and be with us at every occasion that you may have. We are very thankful for the privilege that we have of being together today to worship the one true living God. Let me also just very quickly state how much I appreciate our young people sitting down front, and we have... Uh, Quite a number of them sitting down front, and I appreciate their example, and I'm certainly thankful that they want to be together and sit together. We're glad to see each and every one of you here this morning, and we trust that you'll have the opportunity to come back again tonight. It is good to see Peggy Hunt with us today. I had the opportunity to visit with Doc on Friday, and Doc is slowly improving, and we're grateful that he is able to be here as well as Lydia Box, and I think Sister Elsie Joyner is with us today as well, and so we're grateful for their presence, and we want to remember them in our prayers. We're going to be looking today at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. The theme of our study today, the judgment seat of Christ. The Super Bowl is a grand event. And yet I believe that there is an even grander event coming in the future. And that grand event is called the judgment. And the Bible in very specific terms speaks of the judgment of Almighty God. And so I want us to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 10 and 11. And think about what the Apostle Paul has written for us concerning this great event that looms before us in the future. The first thing that I call your attention to as we look at verse 10 has to do with our appearance at the judgment. Our presence is mandatory at the judgment of Almighty God. The judgment will be inclusive and not exclusive. All of us will be present on that occasion. I read this week that some of the tickets for the Super Bowl are going for a thousand dollars apiece and I suspect that that would be for a cheap ticket. Not everyone will have the opportunity to be present for the Super Bowl. Now many will watch the Super Bowl via television. But when we talk about the judgment of Almighty God, we're talking about an event that will ultimately include every person that has walked upon planet Earth. As you and I look to the scriptures, there are some things that maybe we would do well to consider as we think about our appearance before the judgment seat of Christ. 
Collectively, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us that all nations will stand before him on the judgment, according to Matthew 25 at verse 31. Paul tells us in Acts chapter 17, verse 31, that the world will be present at the judgment of God. We think about some of the great and notable people that have lived upon this earth. We remind ourselves of some of the cities of days gone by. Jesus speaks of individuals, both collectively and individually, that will be present on this occasion. In Matthew chapter 11, Jesus speaks of the cities of Tyre and Sidon in verse 22. And he talks about how they will rise up at the judgment. In that same opening in verse 24, he speaks of the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and they too, he said, will be present at the judgment. We also find Jesus talking about, in Matthew chapter 12, the men of Nineveh who will be present at the judgment of Almighty God. In Matthew chapter 12, at verse 42, Jesus said that the Queen of Sheba she will be present at the judgment of God. And then also we think about the preaching and teaching of the Apostle Paul. I'm reminded of Paul standing before Felix, as recorded by Luke in Acts chapter 24. In verse 25, Luke tells us that Paul reasoned with Felix concerning righteousness, temperance, and the judgment to come. Felix will be present at the judgment. In Acts chapter 26, Paul stood before King Agrippa and sought to persuade him to become a child of God. I would submit unto you that this man, who said in the long ago, you almost make me a Christian, you almost persuade me to become a Christian, this man, he too, will be at the judgment. But note if you would our text in verse 10. Here's what Paul said, for we, that's inclusive, we will be at the judgment. Now note again, for we must all appear, all of us will be at the judgment. He said we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one, again inclusive, each one of us will be at the judgment. When Paul wrote to the saints in Rome, in Romans chapter 14, he said, We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, as it is written. As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. That's inclusive, not exclusive. All of us will bow in the presence of Jesus Christ the Son of God, and we will give an account of our lives. There are some events that take place from time to time in our city, in our state, in our nation, and throughout the world. And sometimes individuals will excuse themselves from certain events, situations that occur from time to time. 
But when it comes to the judgment of Almighty God, none of us will have the opportunity to excuse ourselves from the presence of the Lord. No, we'll all be there. We will all bow in the presence of the Lord. We will all confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God on that great and final day. There is a second thing that I call your attention to as we look to our lesson text today. Not only will we appear before the judgment seat of Christ, but the Bible tells us we will give an account at the judgment of Christ. You and I are going to be held accountable for what we have done in this life. Think for a moment about the judgment seat of God, the judgment seat of Christ. In Matthew chapter 25 at verse 31, Jesus talked about how all nations would be gathered before him. John in the Revelation, in Revelation chapter 20 at verse 12, spoke of the small and the great. All people, everyone that has ever lived will stand before God and give an account of what? Of the past. In other words, what we have done, what we do here on this earth will follow us into the judgment. And that's what Paul is telling us. That our deeds, the deeds that you do in this life, the deeds that I do, they will follow me to the judgment of the Lord. Listen, if you would, to what Paul said. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. What about our deeds? What about the things done in the body? Well, I would submit unto you that our words and our ways will follow us to the judgment. What you and I do, what you and I say on this earth, ultimately we're going to be judged for that. Take, for example, what James said in James chapter 2 at verse 12. He said, so speak and so do as they that will be judged by the law of liberty. What you say to other people, whatever you say, whatever you verbalize in this life, it's going to go to the judgment. The Bible says every idle word that men speak, they will give an account thereof in the day of judgment, according to Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. Individuals who who engage in slander, in the defamation of character, individuals who seek to undermine their fellow man by lying, they're going to give an account of that to Almighty God. That's why James is saying, so speak as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. Because what you say, the Lord is going to judge you for that. That's why we have to be very careful. That's why we try to govern our speech. That's why we try to think before 
we speak because we understand that the very words that we speak, the Lord will judge us for that. And bear in mind that whatever you say, and I would also include whatever you think, that's going to go to the judgment as well. Everything, according to the Hebrew writer, is naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. God sees all and God knows all. If you think that you are hiding something from the Lord, that there's some deep, dark secret that nobody knows about, and it may be the case that nobody on this side of eternity knows about it, but the Lord knows. Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 15, the eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. God sees all and God knows all. And so, our words and our ways, what we do in this body, how we carry ourselves, how we conduct ourselves on this earth, will ultimately be brought out at the judgment. Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, said, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example of the believers. Paul is saying, Timothy, you show the world what it means to be a New Testament Christian. As a child of God, we don't live like the world. We don't want to live like the world. We are different. We have been set apart from the world unto God. And so, we're not going to live in such a way so that our lives are, are a reflection of the world. But we understand that our ways, how we conduct ourselves, that's going to that's go before us to the judgment. And so, our words, our ways, and then our works. When Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12 at verse 14, he had talked about how the thrust of life is to fear God and keep His commandments. In verse 14 he said that God will bring every work into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. Everything is going to the judgment. Every work, every secret thing. Whatever you and I say or do, it's going to the judgment. And so that's why we have to be so careful. But we think about our deeds, but also what about the declaration at the judgment? Did you know that on the judgment day the Lord is going to ultimately speak words of commendation or words of condemnation? To those who are on His right, the Bible says he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Think about your life as a Christian. One of the reasons that those of us who belong to the family of God rejoice is we know that the blood of Christ is availing in our lives. And when we stand before the Lord on the day of judgment, because of the blood of Christ, because of what Christ has done for us at Calvary and the fact that we have striven to faithfully walk in the light we're going to hear the words well done good and faithful servant 
Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's what the Lord's going to say. I think about our labors and our service in the kingdom. Everything that we do for the cause of Christ. We do those things because we love the Lord. Because as the Hebrew writer said, it is a labor of love. But the writer assures us that our work and labor of love is not in vain. Because he said, the Lord is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. The Lord is going to commend us for our service, for our faithfulness in the kingdom. Jesus said, be faithful until death. The promise is the crown of life. The Stephanos, the victor's crown. I think about the teams that play in the Super Bowl. Both of those teams are vying to win. Both want to be crowned as champions. Only one team is going to win. And in every athletic endeavor, somebody has to win, somebody has to lose. As a child of God, as a faithful child of the living God, we have the assurance that God will bestow on us that crown of life, that Stephanos. The idea is the victor's crown. We stand victorious. Why? Because of our relationship to the Lord. Because of our service in the kingdom. Because we have sought faithfully. Because we sought faithfully to walk in the light with the assurance that the blood of Christ is constantly cleansing us from all sin. Words of commendation. On the other hand, there will be words of condemnation. Words of condemnation will be spoken to two classes of people. The first class of people will be alien sinners. What is an alien sinner? An alien sinner is somebody who's never obeyed the gospel. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God in Romans 3, verse 23. Paul said there is none righteous, no, not one, Romans chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. The difference, however is that a child of God has obeyed the gospel, that individual is in Christ. That's what separates that line between the child of God and the person in the world. An alien sinner is somebody who's never obeyed the gospel. An alien sinner might be somebody who is atheistic in their beliefs. They, believe that they say that there is no God. That's their belief. They espouse the idea that they do not believe in an almighty creator. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God, Psalm 14.1. The agnostic says we can't know whether or not there's a God. Maybe there is, maybe there is not. The Bible affirms such. Creation tells us that there's a God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth his handiwork, Psalm 19, verse 1. And then Revelation. Revelation underscores the fact that there is deity. 66 books in the Bible. 39 books in the Old Testament. 27 books in the New Testament. And inherent in this book is one grand scheme of redemption. 40 different writers pinning this book over a span of about 1,600 years. This book is the very Word of God. And this book underscores the fact that there is a God. Who could have pinned this book? but the mind of God. And so the atheists, the agnostic, and those who simply love the world more than they 
Love things which are spiritual in nature. Paul talks about in Philippians chapter 3 verse 19. Those who mind earthly things. They're living for the here and now. But there is not only. There are not only alien sinners spoken of in the Bible. But there are apostate saints. An apostate saint is somebody who has obeyed the gospel. But only at some point in time renounced the Lord and gone back into the world. Peter talks about those in 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 20. Those who have escaped the corruptions that are, in, that are in the world through lust, or rather through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, he said they become entangled therein and overcome. They go back into the world. And thus the latter state, the latter end is worse than the beginning. He said it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. I think about people that have obeyed the gospel. They knew what the Bible said concerning the love of God, the grace of God, the blood of Christ, the blessings of being a Christian, a, a member of the church of Christ. But they went back into the world. And they're going to stand before the Lord on the day of judgment. And here's what people in the world have to understand. That is, people who at one time were faithful but now have gone back into the world. Here's what they need to understand. That individual has not one hope. I think about people that I have performed funeral services for. People that I knew were not living for the Lord. Let me just be very candid. You know, there's not a lot you can say. There's no hope. You offer words of comfort to the family. You pray for the family. You try to encourage them. You try to encourage them to do what's right. But if you step outside of this veil of tears onto the plains of eternity, when you stand before the Lord on the day of judgment, if you are an alien sinner or an apostate saint, you have not one hope. There's not one hope. I don't know of any, any hope extended to you if that's your case. The Bible speaks of those who are without hope and without God in this world. And that's the fate of those who step outside this veil of tears. But then thirdly and finally, what about our attitude towards the judgment? What is your attitude toward the judgment of God? I mean, all of us have to, have to at some point in time, begin to draw some conclusions. Well, first of all, we find... The perception. Note verse 11. In verse 11, here's what the Apostle Paul had to say. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. He's just talked about the judgment, how we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Knowing therefore, knowing this great fact... Knowing the terror of the Lord. Now there are a lot of people in our world today, a lot of people who call themselves preachers that only want to talk about positive things. And there always needs to be balance in our preaching and teaching the Word of God. There are some guys, they're never going to say anything that is negative. They're never going to talk about anything that pertains to the judgment of God because they do not want to offend anybody. They think that's negative. 
But listen to what Paul said, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. The word terror there is phobos. And that word means to strike fear. When you and I think about the judgment of Almighty God, here's the point. It needs to strike fear in the hearts of every person living. When you and I think about the magnitude of the judgment and the fact that we're going to stand before God in light of the fact that God is going to weigh in the balances, the hearts and lives of people, it ought to strike fear in the part of every person. We think about those who are lost. We think about individuals who are outside of Jesus Christ. And knowing the terror of the Lord, it strikes fear in our hearts to think about individuals stepping outside this veil of tears into eternity, unprepared to meet God. That's what Paul is saying. The fear of God. But not just the fear of God, but I want to also underscore very quickly the fairness of God. Abraham asked the question in the long ago, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? God is going to do what's right. When you and I stand before God on the final day of judgment, he will do what's right. I promise you that. In the courts of our, of our day, sometimes we'll talk about a certain case being a miscarriage of justice. And there have been many miscarriages of justice in our judicial system. But I promise you on the day of judgment there will be no miscarriage of, ju of justice. God will do what's right. He will do what he says he will do based upon what is revealed in this book. How well do you know this book? If I were to ask you certain questions in this book based upon what you believe in practice, could you answer? Could you give me book, chapter, and verse? If I were to ask you to close your Bible and to give me specific answers based on what this book says, could you do that? Listen carefully, please. Jesus said, He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my word hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him at the last day. We know a lot about history, and that's great. We know a lot about science, and that's wonderful. We know a lot about a lot of different things, but we don't know the Bible. This is the book that's going to judge us. Paul said we know that the judgment of God is according to what? It's according to truth. If God is going to judge us on the basis of truth, on the basis of this book, does it not stand to reason that we, that we come with an open heart and open mind that we give our full attention to the declaration of the word of Almighty God? Body language says a lot. I think about people that come to worship services on a weekly basis. Sometimes I can tell who's listening and who's not. I can tell it by just looking. Are you listening to the Word of God? Do you know what this book says? Are you ready for the judgment? This book's going to be opened one day. 
perception of Paul, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. Now note what he says, his persuasion. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Why was Paul a preaching machine? Because he understood that people were lost and dying in sin. And without Jesus Christ in their life, they would hear those words, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. That's why we persuade people. That's why we preach the gospel, because we do so in light of the fact that one day there is a judgment coming. We're all going to bow before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of the deeds done in the body according to what we've done, whether good or bad. When you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, what will the Lord say to you? Are you a member of the church? Have you been baptized into Christ? The Bible says that we must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. John 8, verse 24, except you believe that I'm He, you'll die in your sins. The Bible commands repentance, Acts 17, verse 30. In light of repentance, that's why, that's why people give up sinning because they understand the wages of sin is death. And then would you confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart? Jesus is the Son of God. And then be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. Acts 2 verse 38. The Lord will then add you to the church. If you're unfaithful, why not come home? Why not come back to a loving God who will abundantly pardon every sin as we stand and sing?